Hey, we're so glad to have you with us today. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 15, Psalm 15. We're in a sermon series called Hope in Times of Uncertainty. And uh, today we want to talk about an unshakable faith during shaky times. We just sang, so I'll stand and trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. Uh, John Frame wrote an article in Leadership Magazine a few years ago, and he talked about the date, March 4th, 1983, I'm 38, 1938, March 4th, 1938. And he said, that date was sandwiched in between two of the worst gut punches in American history. Five years before that was the Great Depression. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs, their savings, their homes, and their farms. Five years later, takes you into World War II, where over a half a million soldiers were killed. And so on that date, at this time of history, as our nation was climbing out of the depression, and there was this unrest that was starting to happen in Europe, our nation was looking for something that would give them hope, and could give them assurance. And on that day, March 4th, 1938, President Franklin Roosevelt and his wife Eleanor went to a worship service at the St. John's Episcopal Church. And as they came out of the service, reporters were waiting for him and they said, can you give us a counsel, give us good word that we can share with a weary nation? And President Roosevelt's response was this, I would encourage every newspaper to print the entire text of the 15th Psalm. That would make for a great lead story. Well, 82 years later, we find ourselves with an economy that's got some question marks and a world that seems to be growing more unstable every minute. And so I think it is good for us to take that advice and take a look at the 15th Psalm, and for us to discover in God's word, how can we have an unshakable life and an unshakable faith in the midst of shaky times? So Psalm 15, it's written by the psalmist David, and let's just walk through it really quick. It says, uh, first of all, in the first verse, he says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. And in the New International Version, it says, will never be shaken. He'll never be shaken. This is a verb that describes a kind of an insecurity that's experienced when one is walking on some uncertain ground, such as some rocky soil or or, uh, there's got a, a lot of undulations in there and there's a nervousness as to whether I'm going to keep my balance. It's even used like during an earthquake to be able to stand firm on there. And what he says here is 
Listen, even in, in shaky times, we will not be moved. We'll never slip, we'll never fall, and we will stand firm. And we just sang in the song, he is my rock, he is my shield, he is my fortress, he is my salvation, and he is my strength. God will not be moved, God will not change, and God will reign forevermore. Now, the writer of that song didn't just make those words up, took it really from Psalms itself. Look at Psalm 16.8. Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Look at Psalm 62.2 says this, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. You see, God, he's a rock, he's salvation, he's my fortress. I will not be shaken. So understanding that, okay, keeping that as a foundation, look what the psalmist is asking. In verse one, he says, who, okay, who? What kind of person can enter into God's presence and enjoy God's fellowship? He says, who shall sojourn in your tent and who shall dwell on your holy hill. Now, hang in there with me. Who shall sojourn in your tent and dwell on your holy hill? It's, um, it's both a picture of uh, Old Testament during Moses' time and David's time. Tent, that is where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was, and it was kept in a tent. And in the mountain, it was at the base of Mount Sinai. And then he says, well, well who, can, uh, who, who can sojourn in your tent? Who can dwell on your hill? David writing this in the tent where the presence of God is uh, through the Ark of the Covenant is in a temple. And where's the holy hill? It's the Temple Mount Jerusalem. And so the people can see that imagery. And it is God uh, who is there and the, and the question is being asked, who can come into his presence? Who is the person that can dwell in his presence? But the fact that they use tent tent was not only the place where they had put the Ark of the Covenant, but for every person, tent represents hospitality. And during those days, as people lived in tents, then they're saying, who can sojourn in your tent? Who can come in and hang out in your tent? And it's talking about the Lord. And it says, Lord, who can come into your presence? Who is the person that can dwell in your presence? The person that can sojourn in your presence? presence. And this is the question that is being asked. And he's talking about this deep abiding fellowship. Who is it that can come in and just hang out with you, God? No, not just get a one hour uh, pass to come in and spend some time and head back out. Who is the person that will dwell and immerse themselves in your presence? And he is going to tell us that when that ground starts shaking, the key to that is proximity to the presence of the Lord. And so remember this, proximity to the presence of the Lord is a key. Let me, let me just kind of explain it. Because the closer I am to my rock and to my fortress, the more stable and unshakable is my faith. For instance, if we in this building 
said that the most secure place to be in case uh, things started shaking would be this spot right here. And let's say this podium was cemented in and it was as strong as possible. I mean, this is where you go. And so when things are shaking, you don't want to fall over or anything. What you want to do is you want to have this to rest upon to say, I've got it right here. This is my rock. This is my fortress. No matter what's going to happen around me, I'm going to be okay here. But let's just say that while I'm talking about that, I'm actually standing right here. And I can sit there and tell you, hey, listen, I'm telling you, this spot right here, this is it. That is the most secure place. This is our rock. This is our fortress right here. This is where you want to be. But you know, I'm just going to kind of hang out here. Now, when the ground starts shaking, that's not really doing me a lot of good, is it? Because I'm not even close to it. I'm not even close to to the presence there. And what David is asking in this psalm, who can come into the presence of God? Who is the one that will have the, um, uh, the value of this presence and have that rock and that fortress? It is the one that has a proximity to his presence. And as long as I'm going to live my life out here, then I'm not really getting the benefits of that presence. And when shaky times come, my faith is still going to be shaky because I'm not really relying on my fortress over here. Now, 2020 is filled with shaky times. And we think about it from a nation. And we think about all that we've gone through with COVID-19, the election cycle, the economies up and down and lockdowns and no lockdowns and, and all, all of that that goes on. And it's, it's kind of thrown all of our lives into a little bit of a tizzy. And so, uh, so there's, that's the way we look at it. We kind of focus everything nationally. But in every individual household, there are some shaky times. For some of you, it's uh, your marriage is going through really shaky ground. For some, your career, these are some shaky grounds for you on there. For parents, there's some shaky ground going on right now in the home. For teenagers, your whole world seems like it's been turned upside down and you're walking in some shaky grounds uh, over here. There are people that are questioning their own self-worth and, uh, and these are really shaky times to see, is life worth it? And so in the midst of all of these shaky times, our goal, our need, our desire is to find something that is unshakable and that is our rock and our fortress and that is God. And if we desire to stay out here, we are never going to be able to get the joys and the benefit of being in the presence and abiding in the presence of God. You see, just because as we go through things, we're not gonna be able to resolve them by making some type of social media post with a quaint statement, stick a Bible verse on there, hashtag bless, and stick a, some emojis of smile face and praying hands and think that's going to do it. No. If we are really truly going to try to have an unshakable faith during these times, proximity to the presence of the Lord is key. And we need to be coming in to his presence. Now, the psalmist, this is what the psalmist says. Who is the person that can come uh, into his presence? Who is the one that can have the deep abiding presence? 
And then verses two through five, he begins to outline. In fact, in verse two, he gives you the outline of the message. He says, you need to be able to walk blamelessly, you need to act righteously, and you need to speak the truth. Now, when you look at this, then your first question could be, well, I mean, is this, do we really have to do some things, do we have a moral lifestyle to be able to come deep into his presence? Listen, if we didn't have to, David could have just skipped verses two, three, four, and the first part of five. And he could just say, hey, who can come into the presence of the God? Who can dwell in his tent? And who can sojourn in the, in the hill? Oh, everybody. And you'll be shaken. No, he gives specifics. And so staying true to God's word, that's what we need to do. See, the answer he gives is not a listing of some preset rituals that we need to do, but he gives us a moral lifestyle. Now, these are not conditions for people to do in order to be saved. In order to be saved, we just bring ourselves and our sin and we come before God and we recognize that we are sinners and ask for forgiveness of our sins and realize that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we accept that sacrifice. We accept that gift into our life. So every person can do that. But once you become that believer, then he says, in order for you to have that unshakable faith, you need to have a proximity to the presence of God. And he says, who is the one that can hang out with God? Who is the one that is going to feel, come right into his presence and, and feel that, that sense of, of joy and belonging in there? And he begins to give us what we need to have. If you want to have a more intimate knowledge of God as our rock and salvation and to dwell in his presence and rest in his security, he gives us three behaviors. Now, when he gives you three behaviors, he also gives you some specifics to sort of hang your hat on. All right? Let's, let me, I'll walk you through it. Number one, first is walk blamelessly. First thing he says, verse two, we need to walk blamelessly. Now, what that means is you're sound, you're complete, without crack or defect. He is not talking about sinless perfection, but actually what he's talking about is an attitude of the heart that is desirous of pleasing God. Take a deep breath. An attitude of the heart desirous of pleasing God. Walk blamelessly. This is your desire. This is what your heart desires. And what my heart desires is I want to be pleasing to God. And when I begin to do that, I will be a person who, who is complete and, uh, and who is sound. And, uh, and, and my, my whole life will be desiring to do according to what he's asked us to do. And what it means is that your public self matches up with your private self. That, that what you, you believe and then what you say in private also matches up with what you do in public. You refuse to compromise. You refuse to cut ethical corners. Your desire is to walk blamelessly. It's like if you took a picture of a clock and, and you took the old clock where it had all these gears and wheels that are moving uh, in the back. And as those are moving in the back, you know what? As they move in the back, they affect the hands on the front that are turning. And so whatever on the front, it is showing what is happening in the back. And that's the way our life needs to be. My attitudes, desires to pleasing God. In my actions, they're doing the same thing. He's okay. So Danny, when he says we need to walk blamelessly, 
What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly one of the things he says. Honor those worthy of honor. The very first thing is honor those worthy of honor. If you look in verse four, the first part, it says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He honors those who fears the Lord. Well, now the very first thing he said is in whose eyes a vile person is despised. That when you encounter a vile person, he says you despise them. Uh, the word vile really comes from a word that means to reject. And it means a person who's been rejected by God. And the reason he's been rejected by God is because he, has, he or she has set their direction in life to be everything against God. It is evil, it is mischief, it is godless, and that is the direction that they're going. And so David is saying a person who wants to walk blamelessly will not honor a person who despises the things of God. And what that means is you will not align with them. You will not team up with them. If you looked in a New Living Translation, it translates that word vile as a flagrant sinner. Flagrant sinner. And over the last few years in the sports world, flagrant has become a big word. You can have a flagrant foul. And when you get a flagrant foul in football or basketball, what it means is, whoop, you got a penalty. And it means you are ejected, and in some cases, you are suspended. So what it means is, when you think of flagrant, it means there's a disqualification and there is a separation. And it's a great way to remember what he is saying right here. And he says, those who are godless just aim their lives towards evil and mischief. He says, you don't need to align with them. You need to be separated from them. Don't team up with them. Don't celebrate their godlessness. You know, on social media, don't sit there and agree with them. Don't retweet a tweet that they sent that is a godless tweet. Do not give them honor. Rather, he says... You need to honor those who fear the Lord. Celebrate their accomplishments. Publicly acknowledge them. Applaud their stands for the gospel. Use them as mentors and role models. High respect should go to those whose lives reflect godly conduct and commitment. Walk blamelessly. Hey, honor those who need to be honored. Number two, do not sell out your integrity. Do not sell out your integrity. In verse five, he says, who does not put his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Does not put out his money at interest. Now, uh, there was something at that time called usury. And usury is when you would put exorbitant interest rates on other people and it would just suck the life out of them. And God was clear in his law that you do not do this to your fellow Israelites. But yet there were some that did because they just wanted more money. And so they would put these exorbitant interest rates and they would mess their lives up. He then comes back and he says, hey, listen, don't take a, don't take a bribe and, and don't give a bribe. And, and during that time, they could bring poorer people before a judge and the rich person could pay the judge money and the verdict would always go in the favor of the rich person and the poor person's life would be destroyed. And so he's saying, don't sell out your integrity. Don't sell out your integrity. Be a person who is fair in working with other people in their financial dealings. And in a judicial system, you be fair there. Do not sell out your integrity. You see, integrity is rooted in your private life 
and it reflects your personal life. Integrity is rooted in your private life and then it is reflected in your personal life. If you don't have integrity in your private life, it's never gonna come out in your uh, personal life. Oh, you may do a couple things every so often that protect it, but for the most part, it won't happen. But if it's rooted in your private life and decisions come into your life, do I do this or do I do that? If this is right and this is wrong, I want to walk blamelessly. If it's rooted in your private life, you will choose to do the right thing. And it says you need to root it in your private life. I, I love the story that I read about a rural grocery store and it was coming near closing time. And the butcher in the meat department was getting ready to, to wrap up things. And this lady came walking in. She had a little recipe in her hand. And she said, hey, hey, listen, I got I to gotta get, get chicken uh, for this recipe. Got a lot of folks uh, coming in town. Have you got anything? So he goes back, looks back in his bin. He's got one chicken. So he pulls out the chicken and says, here, how about this chicken? She took a look at it, took a look at that recipe. Nah, just, I don't think that's going to be big enough. Have you got another one that's bigger? So he takes that one chicken, he puts it in the bin, pretends like he's looking around, and he pulls it out, and he stretches out the wings on it. And he stretches out the wings and says, well, how about this? She looked at it, looked at that recipe. She says, nah. She says, you know, both of those were a little bit too small, but I tell you what, I'll buy both of them. Busted, busted, integrity. Listen, whatever is there in your private life, it will come out in your personal life. Here's a statement that I want you to write down and just keep at the frontals of your mind. And that is, anytime you try to make a decision, you need to ask yourself the question. And that question is, will it come on the screen? And it does magically. The question is, what is what I'm considering more likely to move me closer to or further away from holding my integrity? One more time. Is what I'm considering more likely to move me closer to or further away from holding my integrity? We have to make lots of decisions during the days, okay? And small ones and large ones. And just ask yourself that question. This, this can help you really make some good decisions. Is this going to take me closer to or further away from my integrity? Am I going to be walking blamelessly with the Lord and holding on to my integrity when I make this decision and how I make this decision? Walking blamelessly. If we walk blamelessly, Scripture says you will come into a deeper presence with the Lord and you will not be shaken. Number two is this, act righteously. Act righteously. Now, righteously, and the definition they have here, it's a Hebrew legal term and it means describing the appropriate course of action in a particular circumstance. That means that I take the appropriate course of action in whatever that particular circumstance is. It means I do the right thing. I do the right thing. And so whatever that action is, I am taking the appropriate action to do that. Now, when he gives us this, he gives us some things to hang our hat on, specifically. And it's found in the, end of, uh, the middle and the end of verse three. The first one is this, do nothing purposely to hurt a friend. Do nothing 
purposely to hurt a friend. It says in verse three, and he does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Do nothing evil to his neighbor. That word neighbor uh, is translated as a companion. That means that one that you frequently associate with. And uh, what we are discovering, especially during 2020, is that during shaky times, those whom you claim to love the most can get the brunt of your anger. Those that you claim the most are the ones who can get the brunt of your anger. Part of it is because we are kind of stuck together, maybe in our homes for longer than we've ever had before. And what statistics are showing us is that domestic violence and physical abuse has been on the increase, especially during these lockdowns. But let me remind you that there is zero justification for anyone to be verbally or physically abusive to a loved one in their home. And if you're trying to get on solid ground and not to be shaken during these shaky times, you need to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And that means acting righteously and refraining from any such abuse or doing anything that would hurt one that was close to you. He says, do no evil to your neighbor. Then he says, nor take up a reproach against a friend. That means to slur, to make up accusations, to speak evil of. It means to just rake up something unnecessarily to discredit a friend. And it's amazing we need to be reminded on this. But sometimes when things are shaky around us, we lash out at others. And again, sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. Sometimes it is those friends And he's saying, listen, if you want to act righteously, just start right here with your family and with your friends. And let's see if we can get that right. And let's act righteously. And then second is this, keep your word even when it hurts. Keep your word even when it hurts. You know, we make promises. We say, hey, I'll never do this. I promise you this, I promise you that. And sometimes some things change and, and, uh, and, and it may be painful for you to keep your word. And you say, hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm gonna keep, I'm going to keep my word. I'll keep my word even, uh, even, if it, uh, even if it hurts. It says at the end of verse four, it says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means I'm willing to keep an oath or promise if it means personal hurt or loss. It is one who says, I am not going back on my word. I tell you I'm going to do this, I will do it. It may mean more sacrifice, may cost me more money, may cost me more time, but I've made my word and I am going for it. It doesn't change. And so one who desires to dwell in the presence of God has a deep sense of integrity and is one who keeps his or her word no matter the cost, okay? If I've made this promise to you, I'm gonna follow it through. When someone does that, it means they're acting righteously. And so he says, I want you to walk blamelessly. I want you to act righteously. And last thing he says is speak the truth, is speak the truth. Um, And in verse two, he says to speak the truth in his heart. That means to be so integrated in your inner thoughts that when you're speaking this truth, you're so integrated in your inner thoughts that they 
audible speech agrees with them. My thoughts and my speech, they agree. What's inside of me is what comes out of me. And when you do that, it creates a transparency. You're speaking the truth. You're not talking out of both sides of your mouth. And when you tell me this, it's the truth, great. It is transparent. This is who you are. You see, truth is the cement that holds society together. And if people can get away with lies, then every promise, agreement, oath, pledge, and contract is immediately destroyed. Lying is destructive and relationships are ruined because true and healthy relationships are built on trust. You can't claim to be dwelling in the presence of God when you're not keeping your wedding vows with your mate. You cannot claim to be dwelling in the presence of God when you're failing to keep your word with your children. You can't claim to be dwelling in the presence of God when you're lying to your boss and to your peers at work. So make a commitment to be a truth teller and a promise keeper and don't look back. Just say, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna speak the truth. This is what the psalmist says. Hey, you can stay out over here, but if you want to come back in to the proximity of the presence of God, one of the things is you need to speak the truth. And he gives one example here, and it's found in verse 3a, and he says, do not slander. Do not slander. He says, who does not slander with his tongue. And it's interesting, when you look at the way this phrase is put together in the Bible, it says he does not uh, slander with his tongue. It's the picture of going out, finding something destructive, picking it up and sticking it on your tongue and then spewing it out, all right? It's also a picture of spying out, which means you're going around and you're spreading things such as gossip and slander before you verify its accuracy and thus you create a scandal. Wow, that's never happened before, has it? Does this happen like all the time? Hey, let's just throw something against the wall and see what sticks. I'm gonna accuse you of this, accuse you of that, accuse you of this, accuse you of that. Well, that one true, that one true, that one true. Oh, this part over here, this little bit is true. But guess what? Everyone else remembers what? That, 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 that. And he says, don't be one of slander. Um, you know, social media is something that is so amazing that we are able to be able to communicate so quickly. And it can be an amazing, powerful force for the gospel and to, and to get word out, and especially if people are in need and we need to let them know about it. There's some great things about it. However, every social media platform, you take Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Parler, and even email, has the potential to be put under one umbrella. Okay, and follow me. Everyone it has a potential to be put under one umbrella, which is called SLIC, S-L-I-Q. Right. A lot of you probably don't know about SLIC, but what SLIC is, is this. It means spreading lies quickly, okay? Spreading lies quickly. Now, I just made this up, so don't Google it and try to find what it is. <laughs> but this is a potential of social media. It'll spread lies quicker anything we've ever seen before in the life of our country. Hey, growing up when I did, uh, somebody wanted to spread a lie about you, spread something about you, it started out with a couple of people, gossips. They go over here and they gossip and they tell so-and-so, hey, did you know this, did you know that? 
And, uh, you know, by the time the day ended, probably about four or five people were talking about it. You go home, you go to bed, don't worry about it. Wake up the next morning. Wake up the next morning, those four or five get together and they talk to a few others and, and over there. And, you know, by the time that day's over, uh, you probably got about 15, 20 people or or kind of chirping about this. And, uh, you know, it, it's gossip and it's lies, but now they're kind of believing over there. And it'll take you another couple of days to sort of discover it and root it out. And those are the good old days. You know what happens today? All you got to do is pull out your phone, type in a few words, send that out. Everybody knows. Everybody. Spreading lies quickly. It seems like even more important with the technology that we have today, that we would listen to the words of the psalmist and he says, you need to speak truthfully because if you wanna come into the presence of God, we need to speak truthfully. We're refrained from slander and from gossip. So God's word, this is what it says. It says proximity to the presence of God is the key. And if you want to have a deep abiding fellowship with God, if you want to have this rock, this shield, this support during these very shaky times, then you need to walk blamelessly. You need to act righteously and you need to speak the truth. And if you do these three, he says, this will be the result. And it's found at the very end of verse five. And end of verse five says, he who does these things shall never be moved, will never be shaken. Now I underline the word does. The psalmist didn't say, hey, he who knows these things, he who read about these things, he or she who talks about these things, he or she who shares these things with others, not at all. It's who does. Action. Do it. And he says, when you do these things, you'll never be shaken. You will never be shaken. And you know why you'll never be shaken? It's because you will be in the presence of God who is our rock, our fortress, our salvation. And he is unshakable. So I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we serve a God that even when we go through times which are unheard of as to what we have gone through here in 2020, yet, Lord, we knew that you were not unprepared for this and to know that you are unshakable and that you are the God who created us and created this world and you are God who knows how everything's going to end and you are God who controls and moves things according to your will. And so, Father, as we look at our own individual situations and each person here trying to take a look and think about their relationships, maybe their marriage, uh, their relationship with their kids, uh, their relationships with their peers and their friends and, and those at work and family members, all of that, and the shakiness of what may be taking place because of the pressures uh, that are being upon us. May this be a day to where we look at those three items, to where we would walk blamelessly, we would act righteously, and that we would speak truth and help us to go closer in our relationship with you and have that deep abiding fellowship with you. Father, thank you 
that you are unshakable. And may we connect with you and not be moved and not be shaken. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.